Sounds like it's on. <laughs> nice cold snowy morning give everyone a minute or two extra to, to get here and for me to get organized here a little bit <coughs> that a little bit too high should I lower it okay maybe that's better Okay, the two separate pages that we're handing out here, one says Lesson 5 on it, and the other one says uh, International Children's Bible. <clears throat> we'll look at those uh, in, in a little bit. Uh, but <clears throat> we'll start off by looking at the first page, Lesson 5, from the ideal to the actual is what I'm calling this, this session. <clears throat> We're still in the second chapter of Isaiah. We'll, we'll be looking at that. Last week we looked at the first half of the of the chapter, and now now we're going to look at the second part of, the, of this chapter. That in my Bible has the uh, title at the top of the page: "The Day of the Lord." No, no, that no, that's coming up next week. That that'll be that'll be the third section of this chapter. But <clears throat> uh, this what we're going to look, be looking at. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's the right one. <clears throat> yeah, verses verses six to six and following in, in the, the second chapter. So uh, let's go ahead and, and open with a word of prayer. Our Father is so grateful that we can come here this morning and to study your word. We're thankful for your word and the truths it contains. We ask your presence to be with us as we look at these words. And help us to learn the truths that are contained in them that will help us in doing your will from day to day. We pray that you'll be with the other classes as they also meet and as they study your word. That they too will learn those things that will help them to live as you want, want all of us to live from day to day. <clears throat> be with the children's classes as they uh, study uh, at their levels and be with the, the teachers who who serve them. We're thankful for their contributions in bringing up uh, our children, that uh, they will grow and mature in, in the knowledge of your word. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, last week we were looking at the first part of chapter 2 of Isaiah, and you may be wondering, <clears throat> this is about the sixth week of our lesson, we're only in chapter 2. Well, that's why I'm calling it simply studies in Isaiah rather than a study of Isaiah. We're not going to be going through the whole book of Isaiah chapter by chapter and verse by verse. But uh, <clears throat> we're going to select a few topics and look at them uh, as we move along. But I thought the first few sessions 
we would look at the first few chapters because that kind of gets us into the the mood of the book and some of the main uh, the main lessons that are contained in in that book. As we notice in our first session, that uh, the first chapter of Isaiah could, can be regarded as somewhat of an introduction or a uh, or a preface to the entire book because it mentions briefly, and maybe in just a few words, most of the main themes that are found throughout the entire book of, uh, of Isaiah. So we're still now then in chapter 2, and last week we're looking at... Uh, at the uh, first part of of that chapter, how that uh, he is describing what is going to take place in the last days or in the latter days. And remember how we uh, identify those latter days as being the days that are fulfilled in the New Testament. When uh, Peter on the day of Pentecost said, these things are happening, that was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the latter days. And other passages in the New Testament talk about the Days of the New Testament as being the latter days. So we are now living in the latter days. And what he's describing here actually began its fulfillment on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. And you recall that we talked about how that uh, Isaiah says here, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Uh, and as re- it refers to uh, the law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost in, in Jerusalem, that the law began going out. And all nations are going to flow to it. And as we read in the account of the spread of the church in the book of Acts, that indeed nations came to the mountain of the Lord or to the, the, uh, to the God of Jacob and, and to the, uh, this, the uh, spiritual city of Jerusalem. Now, that's the ideal. That's why I'm calling this the ideal. The ideal that, uh, that uh, Isaiah is presenting here. Then, after looking at the ideal in these verses, he turns around and looks at his own city of Jerusalem in his day, and he sees the actual city of Jerusalem. And that's what we have in these verses uh, uh, beginning in verse 6 of chapter 2. So, so this is uh, his presentation of the ideal Jerusalem and then the actual Jerusalem in, in these verses. And he presents it in a fourfold way, four characteristics of his city in his day. You can see that by the use of the word full. Uh, you glance down through those verses and you'll count the word full being used four times. And so that's why we call it a fourfold fullness of the city. So what are they full of? Well, notice in verse 6, they're full of superstitions, full of silver and gold. They're full of horses and chariots. They're full of idols. And this fourfold way by the repetition of the word full used four times gives us four views of what the city of Jerusalem was like in those days and, of course, the whole nation of of Judah. So here we have the contrast between the ideal that is presented to us in the previous verses and uh, the actual city of Jerusalem as he sees it in his own day. And 
We can extend that to include that what he's describing as the actual city of Jerusalem in many ways is actually like our modern modern society today. That we are living in, in many ways the very same way. That, that when I say we, I mean our modern world today. Our modern world is <coughs> is uh, uh, following these same same sets. We'll notice uh, examples of that as, as in just a few moments here. So we see this contrast between the ideal and the actual in Isaiah's day and even in our own modern day to world uh, today. <coughs> And I kind of like to look at these four things as sort of a progression progression as one leads to the other. And finally, it ends up at the very end with full of idols. We'll see see how that develops here. here. So first of all, let's look at the uh, city as being described as full of superstitions from the east. And they practice divination. They clasp hands with pagans. Clasping hands with pagans, probably what we would say, we use, they, um, <clears throat> they shake hands with the pagans. They make uh, agreements uh, with, with the pagans. <clears throat> so um, they're allowing the influence of uh, pagan uh, beliefs to, uh, to come into their lives. And a lot of the, this has to do with the uh, use of superstitions and the practice of divination. Um, can anyone tell me what the difference is between superstition and divination? You know what those terms refer to? Supersti- any of you have any superstitions today? <laughs> now, I'm pretty sure that none of you practice divination. <laughs> but you had... Uh, I think we all, all of us have uh, at one time or another had uh, some kind of superstitions that we fall. I remember when we were kids and we'd walk along on, on the sidewalk and we'd step over the cracks in the sidewalk. You, any of you do that? And we'd, we would say out loud as we'd walk down the side, skipping over the cracks saying, step on a crack, break your mother's back. <laughs> Is that <laughs> something like that? Okay. Uh, superstitions. Okay, what are superstitions? What's uh, what's the superstition and uh, uh, a, a you know, difference between superstition and divination? We have um, at home a set of books uh, called uh, Man, Myth, and Magic. Man, Myth, Magic. It's a, a set of books of uh, twenty-four volumes, and uh, in the fifth volume. There's a discussion of a divination and talks about, about di- di- divination. <clears throat> and uh, it, uh, it uh, briefly it describes it this way. It says, divination is the prediction of future events or the discovery of secret matters by a great variety of means, signs, and occult, occult techniques. It is primarily concerned with the future, but sometimes necessitates a turning toward uh, backward to the, uh, to the vision in order to learn from the forgotten past. And then it, it, it uh, describes and discusses the history of divination and the various ways that, that it's practiced. And then at the end of the, of the article, it says this, there is still a demand for the art of the diviner today. 
is obvious at all levels of society. Gypsies still earn a few coins for a hasty reading of the palm of the cards. Uh, there are large numbers of diviners, uh, clairvoyants, uh, astrologers. Yeah, I'm sure you're aware of how popular astrology is, is uh, these days. Uh, and other uh, practicings in many cities. The clients of these uh, inheritors of the diviner's arts are drawn from all walks of life and include royalty, business executives, film stars, and pop singers. So that's a, an observation of how widespread the use of divination is in our day, just as it was in uh, Isaiah's day. And then in another volume, volume 20, it has the discussion of superstitions. On superstitions, it says, man resorts to irrational beliefs whenever his faith wilts and he becomes afraid. Superstition is a form of personal magic which is used for coming to terms with the unknown. And then... A couple of pages later, it, it uh, further describes the superstition as there's obviously only a difference in degree, only a difference in degree between the art of worshiping a sacred tree and that of touching wood. You, you know about touching wood? <clears throat> Not, or knock on wood. Touching wood or knock on wood, same, same thing. Um, the modern charm bracelet, first introduced about a century ago, has found ready acceptance as a luck bringer. Uh, you know, all, all kinds of superstitious things that we had. You had um, a rabbit's foot, that, uh, a horseshoe, for example, like, like that. Well, a lot of these things may be innocent superstitions that we just, just kind of like to follow. Uh, but what Isaiah is referring to here when he says that the city is full of superstitions from the east and practice divination like the Philistines would indicate that they're allowing outside influences to come in to influence their thinking and their practices. Um, from the east probably would be referring to the Assyrians that are to the north and the east. The Philistines were located to the south and the west. So here we have these, they're surrounded by these influences that are affecting their lives. So I can see in this that we need to be careful about what sort of outside influences we allow to come into our lives. And make sure that they are not directing us away from God rather than toward God. So that's one reality that Isaiah sees in his city of his time. The uh, city full of superstitions and practice divination. Um, here's a quotation from James Burton Kaufman. Remember, he's the uh, preacher that was at Manhattan Church of Christ for a number of years. When he retired, he wrote a complete set of commentaries on the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, this is what he said. And it is significant that there is revealed the early center from which the true authority would be issued, that being designated as Jerusalem, as we saw here in these previous verses here, that from Jerusalem uh, the word of the Lord will, will go forth. 
And then he says right immediately after that, from Jerusalem, not Rome, not Salt Lake City, not Boston, or any other source of, of true religion. So <clears throat> that's his observation on, uh, on, on the uh, verses here that talk about, about superstition. Okay, uh, any observation, comment about uh, allowing superstitions to come into our lives? Mm. Comes out of me mm. is the, the practice of divination, like the Philistines, mm-hmm. because oh, what, 100, 200 years before this, the uh, Philistines in the day of Samson were really considered, even by the Israelites, as more sophisticated than they were. They had Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. had to go to the listings to Of course, we're, we're aware, I'm sure, of the prohibition against allowing these things to come into their lives. Remember back in the book of Deuteronomy that uh, Moses uh, warned the people uh, about not allowing these things to come into their lives. This is Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verses 9 through 13, where he says, When you enter the land the Lord your God has given you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. So these are some of the specific things that are mentioned that they are to Avoid, but here it looks like that they're allowing these things to come into their lives. Well, the idea is that just because another nation might have a lot of money doesn't mean, (laughs) or a lot of technology Mm -hmm. or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, doesn't mean uh, that they know how to worship God. You're right, yeah. Okay, Chuck, you had your hand up. Uh, Jim, I think that in the, um, uh, when you were reading from that article or that book, you were talking about that. Okay. Mm. Touch wood. Was an indication of, um, of, su- of divination mm. or, or superstition. Like yeah. That. Is that correct? Yeah. Superstition. Yeah. Yeah. And in the same way, though, I, I think that just because somebody wears a cross around their their neck doesn't mean they're a Christian. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so. so you know, assumptions, things like that. You know, other, you know, mm. somebody else might think. Well, every in America, so many people. Yeah. And, uh, and that's it, not the case in belief. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that many times it's uh, it's common to uh, for a, uh, a practitioner or something to assume that, or to suggest to everybody that well, you know, just because everybody's knocking on wood and that's a common thing. So okay. my goodness, it must be very common. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, divination and, uh, and superstition must be mm-hmm. very common in the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Yes, it's true. Tempted to use these sort of things. Okay, the second one then. The second thing that he sees in his actual city of Jerusalem is in verse 7 where it says, uh, They're full of silver and gold, and there's no end to the treasures. Well, when they, they allow these outside influences to come in, and they start trading with these, uh, with these uh, other countries... And they uh, start building up their wealth. Uh, it it uh, might uh, get out of hand to the point where Isaiah can describe it as being full of silver and gold. Uh, and again, <clears throat> we had the warning against the uh, overabundance of uh, acquiring silver and gold in Deuteronomy seventeen seventeen. Uh, when he's describing the activities of the king, said, He must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. And here, Isaiah is saying, The city and the nation of Judah is full of silver and gold. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the temptation to increase uh, one's wealth in search of security rather than relying upon God for, uh, for your uh, <clears throat> protection and needs. Um, <clears throat> here's a quotation from that uh, commentary I've been referring to, Edward J. Young, uh, who said, It is not silver and gold in themselves which are condemned, but the filling of the land with these things. An overabundance even of good things can turn the heart away from God. When God's people are filled with the fullness which the world offers, they are empty toward God. What should be emptiness for them is fullness for the nations. Having given up the riches of the promises of God, the nation of Judah, uh, falsely appraise the treasures of the world, and then the world's ideals, and finally, its idols. <clears throat> uh, uh, the second page that uh, I've had handed out to you uh, gives you an example of the sort of wealth and luxury that uh, was uh, in the land, land at that time. Uh, this uh, in the very next chapter, in fact, chapter 3, verses uh, 16 through 24. And... Uh, I have it here in the form of the International Children's Bible, the New Century Bible. I thought you might would like to see how the editors of this version of the Bible worded this passage by using words that they thought even children would understand. 
We won't take the time to read through all of these, but you can look down here. I'll just read the first couple of verses here. That the women in Jerusalem are proud. They walk around with their heads held high. They flirt with their eyes. They take quick short steps, making noises with their ankle bracelets. So the Lord will put sores on the heads of these uh, women of Jerusalem. He will make them lose all their hair. As I read down through the, this list, you can go on and read down the rest of those verses there. The, the description of some, some 21 different items that are, are mentioned here. And I, I begin to wonder, is this actually a real description of all the women of Jerusalem? That they would dress in this way? Um, it, it would seem to indicate that uh, at least these items were available to them. That they were rich enough to... Uh, to uh, obtain these uh, these types of items if they wanted to, but uh, <clears throat> it's a little bit difficult for me to imagine the, um, you know, the ladies going shopping decked out like like this is is here. As I was looking at this passage, there's one word that uh, jumped out at me uh, when it says that. Uh, <clears throat> Says that uh, they uh, walk, uh, they walk with their heads uh, held high. Walk around with their heads held high. Um, uh, that word "walk" jumped out at me, and I began to wonder. I wonder if what he is describing here is what we today would call a street walker. Do you think this might be referring to street walkers of his day? You know, in in our society today, you go to any of the large cities, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, New Orleans, go to a certain part of the city, city and um, at the evening hours, and you'll see street walkers walking along. You, you know what we mean by street walkers, don't you? Um, who knows, maybe even here in Denver, there's a certain section of Denver where at a certain time of the evening you might, you might see some street walkers walking around around town. Uh, so I, I wonder if this might be describing what we would take, they call street walkers. Um, the way it's worded, it sounds like he's describing the general practice of the women of that day. So... That's something to think about. Uh, I, I checked uh, several different commentaries, and they all seem to suggest that it's talking about women, uh, the luxury uh, uh, of the women uh, of that day, because uh, <clears throat> they, they were so full of silver and gold that they had available to them the opportunity to procure such items as this. So <clears throat> something something to think about here. Anyway... Isaiah uh, sees the uh, city full of silver and gold. Um, The uh, yes, excuse me, someone. Yeah, yeah, crescent, the crescent. I'm sure you've seen pictures of necklaces that come around and they're kind of in the shape of a moon around their necks. Was that yeah. a, like a pagan symbol? It's probably associated with some kind of a pagan symbol, sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. You could yeah. worship the moon. 
They weren't, yeah, yeah, the worship, the worship of the moon, the moon god, uh, and the moon goddess, and so on, yeah. Cakes, yes, uh, the late the women making cakes for the moon moon goddess. Well, as we would say today, they they bake cookies. For, <laughs> they bake cookies for the yeah, for the worship of the moon goddess. Um, in the picture of the ideal Jerusalem, uh, in, in verse three. It says that they come to the house of the God of Jacob, where God's treasures are found. They're to be found in the house of Jacob, <clears throat> the house of the God of Jacob. And that's where the true treasures are to be found. But instead, they allow the riches of the world to invade their lives. Um, the modern world today, there's a great emphasis upon accumulation of wealth. And that's how we, how we describe success these days. How much money do you have? How much wealth do you have? And just watching TV, uh, you can see ad after ad saying, it, it, you need to buy what? Silver and gold. You know, they're trying to sell silver and gold over the TV. Um, and that's, that's the very same expression that's used here uh, to describe uh, what, is, what is going on. Okay, uh, let's, let's go. That's the second uh, of the uh, characteristics that the city is full of. They're full of silver and gold. Now the third, third says they're full of horses and chariots in verse 7. The accumulation of wealth leads to an accumulation of defensive weapons in order to protect their wealth so that uh, their wealth can be preserved. Again, we see that this is a violation of the, uh, of the instructions that are given in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 17, verse 16. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. And in spite of that uh, warning in Deuteronomy, we see here in Isaiah's day that the, 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 the town and the nation is full of uh, horses and chariots. These, of course, are are weapons of defense and also weapons of offense. In case of defense, a standing order may have been legitimate at times. Uh, the tendency, though, is to increase the size of the army and in times of emergency and danger to trust in it rather than trusting in the protection of God. <clears throat> Such a, an army would lead to reliance upon uh, human power rather than upon God's power. Uh, remember back in the previous verses where it had reference to uh, weapons of war, where it said they are to beat their swords into plowshares and uh, their spears into pruning hooks. <clears throat> I came across a verse, uh, a verse later on in the Old Testament that's interesting in light of this description of worldwide peace of uh, beating swords and plowshares and spears and pruning. 
I can imagine that this sort of saying can be found on some public building somewhere. Uh, I, I could just imagine that the United, State, uh, United Nations building has somewhere on its building this, this phrase from Isaiah. I don't know for sure that that's true, but I can just imagine. Do any of you know for sure where this, uh, this phrase from Isaiah is used on a public building somewhere? Where? Oh, okay, okay. Even right here, close close by, we we have have this saying um, plastered on the side of a public building uh, to, uh, to beat their swords and plowshares and their their spears and pruning hook. Uh, turn over to the uh, minor prophet of Joel. Uh, that's uh, six six books after Isaiah. There's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Right after, right after Hosea is the minor prophet of Joel. So Joel chapter 3 and verse 19. Notice what, notice what it says, says there. Um, let's see here. Yeah, verse 19 but Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert place, because of violence uh, done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. No, that's, that's not, the, not the exact verse that I had in mind. Oh, I'm looking the wrong. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's verse 9 instead. No. Yeah, verse 10. Yeah, look at verse 10. Yeah. Chapter 3, verse 10. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Isn't that the exact opposite of what Isaiah said? Do you think that Joel here is reflecting back upon what Isaiah said when, when he says that the should beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears? Do you see this plastered on uh, some public building anywhere, this saying from Joel? You do have the other one, but the, the, this this one here. A time, a time for peace and time for war. Yeah. I don't know, but uh, I can well imagine that these words from Joel might uh, be found somewhere on the sides of the Pentagon. <laughs> okay, so here, here are the uh, weapons of warfare that uh, the city is full of. And Isaiah's, of course, this is a, a major theme in Isaiah, that they should trust in God for their protection rather than the, in the... Uh, a protection of uh, of uh, armors and a we- and uh, the protection of uh, weapons of warfare, and not to rely upon foreign nations for uh, their defense. And uh, we can find several times uh, in Isaiah how he warns against their going to Assyria uh, for protection or going down to Egypt to ask them to help protect them, but to rely upon uh, the Lord their God. Um, 
And, of course, today in our modern society, we, we put a great deal of trust in the, our military strength. <clears throat> All of this accumulation of material wealth and military power uh, led the nation to forget their dependence upon God. And that, in turn, then leads to the fourth <clears throat> description where it says that the city and the nation is full of idols. Again, notice this progression, uh, starting with the influence, outside the influences of uh, uh, superstition and divination, accumulation of wealth that leads to reliance upon military strength and forgetting to rely upon the strength of God that then finally leads to idolatry. <clears throat> and notice how, notice how Isaiah here describes idolatry as the work of their hands and what their fingers have made. So any reliance upon what a person makes with his hands and forms with his fingers that he allows to stand between him and his God is idolatry. Uh, again, Edward J. Young uh, um, looks at it in this way. He says, The folly of idolatry, a favorite theme in, with Isaiah, is now introduced. To bow down to what the hand of man has made is the height of folly. In the broader sense, we may understand as idolatrous all that is created by man and then worshipped by him. In such a category belong all false philosophies, all theories of unbelief. These are human products. And to regard them as in any sense regulative of the life and conduct of man is to engage in idolatry. So not only physical objects, <clears throat> but also human inventions of beliefs and uh, uh, human uh, theories, uh, human philosophies, if we allow them to be uh, our guide uh, for the principles of life, that, in a sense, can be regarded as idolatry. The uh, <clears throat> foolishness and the folly of idolatry is a theme that appears several times uh, in the uh, uh, book of, uh, of Isaiah. Uh, one of the classic examples of this is in the 44th chapter. Uh, we won't take the time to read uh, all of these verses, but basically what it says in, in Isaiah chapter 44, verses 9 through 20, you have this uh, classic description of the foolishness and the folly of uh, idolatry as he presents uh, a, a satire a, in a sarcastic way uh, why people would turn to idolatry. Basically what he says is that uh, a man goes out in the forest and cuts down a tree he chops the tree up in the various uh, segments, and with one part of the tree, he builds a fire to warm himself. Another part of the tree, he builds a fire and cooks his food and eats his food. And another part of the tree, he forms it into an idol and bows down before and says, You are my creator. How could how can anything be more foolish than that? So <clears throat> this is uh, the fourth description of the... <clears throat> City that is full of idols that uh, Isaiah is uh, is presenting. Um, so, uh, idolatry today we don't we don't think in terms of of uh, idolatry uh, today, but uh, maybe in terms of uh, 
allowing things that we create with our hands and with our fingers to separate us or prevent us uh, to uh, in our duties and responsibilities to God could be regarded as idolatry. And any philosophy or any, any uh, <clears throat> theories of, of unbelief that people uh, bring into their lives can, can be regarded in a sense as, as idolatry. So here we have Isaiah's description of the reality of the city of Jerusalem in contrast to the ideal that he has presented in the previous verses and how he is trying to get the people to turn away from these things. And that, that's, of course, is a theme that continues on throughout the, the book of Isaiah as he delivers his message that he received from, from his God. <clears throat> okay, our time maybe maybe about thirty seconds left. So let's go ahead and close with word of prayer and uh, and get ready for our worship together. We are thankful, our Father, again for the opportunity that we've had to assemble here this morning and to uh, look at a portion of Your Word. We're thankful for these words that we read from Your Holy Word, and we pray that You'll help us to. Learn things that are helpful for us as we seek to do your will and as we strive to follow your, your guidance in our lives from day to day. And we pray that you'll be with us as we uh, uh, assemble for our worship, that our worship will be acceptable in your sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.